Welcome to the Show Up Podcast, a place where we explore leadership and how it's showing up for us in the world in which we work, and a space for you to explore what leadership means in your context, how you show up, how you turn up to be the best leader you can be in the world that you work in today. Today we have reached the end of season one of the Show Up podcast and this was an opportunity for us to sort of reflect on some of the subjects we've covered in the previous 11 episodes of the show and as you'll find out we start to explore some of the things that are emerging for us that we will probably move on to in season two because if we found one thing about leadership it is a continually evolving cycle and we enjoy exploring it and we hope you enjoy exploring it too so as always see what sparks us for you as you listen to this episode and we will speak to you soon enjoy welcome everybody to episode 12 of season one of the show podcast it's the rap party. It is the rap party. Um, it's a little too early in the morning to be on the cocktails, of course, but it is drinking time somewhere in the world. So maybe we'll just pause in the middle of this and we'll get some. So, but our intention with the podcast has always been to sort of help us and you, the listeners, break down the way we think about these things in the world and what we notice. And we thought this would be a wonderful opportunity. 12 episodes in for us to just kind of summarize where we've got to and what we've noticed so far. Um, We started off with this great idea of golden age of leadership. Uh, Those leaders, 25 to 45-ish, who are stepping into leadership uh, roles for the first time or have had previous uh, leadership experience and are looking to sort of refine and grow in their capabilities. We started off there and we started to explore a whole load of different avenues of what we see as being either relevant practical tools that people could apply in their leadership or broader topics that we could go and explore that may influence the way leaders or the groups that people lead could have to consider. Things like, will having a king make a difference to men in in the UK, for example? Um, So... We've got Dave Derry with us. We've got Jamie with us. Good morning. Good afternoon, chaps. Good morning. Hello. And and we thought, well, I'll kick off with a little bit of a run through those themes and then let these boys just start to emerge what they remember and what felt really, really relevant for you all as listeners as we do that from there. So we kind of started off with this idea of self-awareness, being at the key, looking in the mirror. Who's really looking back at you? Um... And we moved into some spaces of shadow, which is a result of what we see in the mirror often. Um, The place behind us, the story behind us, the person behind us that is um, sort of showing up as a leader and and what that story that looks comes to um, be. We then start to this idea of moving away from doing the role that you've done previously and enabling others to do the role which we found was, and I recall, was a critical thing from a leader and their identity in the workplace and how they show up from there. Started to move into the space of what it means for intergenerational differences, my personal favourite area of expertise, but it seemed like we got to some spaces that 
um, really started to differentiate some of the characteristics and belief patterns that exist behind the different generations when they work. And then moved a lot more into the idea of having a mission, a purpose, and what that really means. We actually spent quite a few episodes of looking at that because that also led us into this space of our body being a really good source of information for where we actually are in the world, not just what our head tells us as well. Looking down the list, later, the later episodes have started to look at commitments, what it means when we break them. We'd all had an experience of that very recently when we recorded that episode. And we then sort of touched on something that's very hot in all the topics, which is diversity and the role that plays and we see in uh, teams and team dynamics. And sometimes we sort of say, well, there's a lot going on in the world. So the very last episode we recorded was about minimum viable leadership. What is the most minimum thing that you could do to be an impactful leader? And here we are today, gentlemen. Yeah, lovely run through. and We've covered a lot of ground. I guess that was the point, right? <laughs> so what yeah, if, I think if, I think from that point of view, it's worth reminding people that when we started this out, our intention was to we we recognized that the three of us were having a lot of interesting conversations. Conversations that we at least found interesting. And uh great clarification. <laughs> yeah. And um we thought we should record those conversations. And that is really the genesis. And we had a list of topics that we thought might be interesting and we've we've moved those around a lot and we've adjusted on the fly. So this has been a really organic journey for us all. And we've ended up with what, 10 or 11 hours worth of conversations recorded that we believe others have found interesting as well based on the feedback we've had. Hmm. And I think it's like really nice for me to be at this point where we, we can reflect back well where where have we come from what have we talked about and where might this go mm. so, thank so what's you the, the standout theme for you Derek? do you know what there's um we opened this thing with self-awareness right like that was the first conversation that we we had properly and i i'm very aware that we not to overuse the word aware um i've i realized that we kept coming back to that in many of the the more specific topics that we talked about later. So, and then the other theme that really came through strongly for me was compassion. And we kept returning to compassion as leaders. And then I'm just sitting here reflecting on both of those things. And I think you've got this, this concept of the self-awareness, which is knowing yourself and, and being kind to yourself and relating to yourself as a leader and all kinds of things that help you understand that. And then compassion is really about how you then put that out into the world and relate to others and accept them as mm. well. And I think we talk a bit about these three dimensions of conscious leadership where you've got the vertical dimension of your personal capacity as a leader that is not really about the practical tools. It's about who are you? How do you show up? How do you relate to others? And for me, that self-awareness and compassion sits strongly in that vertical dimension We've got the horizontal dimension of the practical leadership tools. And then we've got whatever the third dimension is going back, uh, which is about measurement and data. And I think as I reflect on the list, we haven't talked that much really about practical leadership tools. We've we've taken a lot of what we've talked about and made it practical, but we haven't kind of gone, right, well, here's, 
here's one leadership tool, et cetera, et cetera, that you might we work through that systematically. But we have talked a lot about the data and the measurement. And that's the other big theme that's come through for me is all of the different ways you can think about data and measurement and understanding that drive that self-awareness and ultimately enable compassion. So I, I draw a link between those three pieces, figure out how to get the data that's useful to you, assess, analyze, make sense of that data in a way that drives your self-awareness and use that to extend compassion to others. If I had to pick a, like a unifying theme across the conversations we've had, I'd go there. That's really interesting. And um if I were to reflect on that, that actually sparked a new idea about one of the patterns or themes that I've felt was really stand out for me, um, which was actually the, the the concept of stories. I mean, this whole thing started, as you said, we had lunch. We said, we're having great conversations. In our minds, these are interesting stories that we're sharing with each other about our exposure to leadership development or being leaders or running our business. Um, wouldn't it be nice to capture some of these throughout the whole journey we've been sharing more and more stories and i've been learning from both of you about your experiences in the field of leadership in its various different forms through the stories you've been sharing with me and so much of it has actually been exploring how people in leadership roles or people generally um, manufacture stories from the data that they are absorbing and um it influences how they become and how they show up as a leader. Uh, what do they hear? How do they observe people? What stories and beliefs and assumptions do they have, biases and schemas they have inside them? How does that inform their story? And how aware of it are they? How aware of how it happens are they? Um, how much are they prepared to then look in the mirror and get um, some feedback on it? Let's try and take alternative perspectives. All of those stories have been a theme throughout every topic we've, we've touched on, um, which has really stood out for me. I didn't necessarily expect that. Um, the practical side of it, funnily enough, is something that actually has stuck with me. So the, the, the pies concept, which was introduced in one of the early episodes. And I think that was when you were talking, we were talking about check-ins or check-outs mm. when we first brought it up, physical, mm. intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. And when I first heard it, I thought, well, that's nice and tidy way of making sure you get a nice comprehensive check-in or check-out what then emerged later in our story in our journey was how powerful it was and i can't remember exactly which topic which episode it was but there was something that we were talking about where suddenly pies came back into it as a potentially new way of looking at our reaction or our response to something can you remember what that was I believe guys? it was the diversity subject actually yeah it was, wasn't it? Where we started to possibly think if people looked at what they're receiving from other people in those different levels and checked in with themselves on those different levels, they might get to some more enriched questions and more understanding of yeah. what they're Pies seeing. Being, yeah. A way of creating different lenses on the data and the reactions I'm getting mm. associated with something diverse or diversity in its broader sense pies has gone from being a helpful tool to something incredibly powerful um in the space of just several conversations and it's and it's emerged from this and that's that lot the last thing that's really stood out for me is the emergence side of thing so much of what i expected 
um, that we might cover during our journey of conversations, our stories, um, has not happened necessarily. It, a lot of the things that I found really interesting have emerged, emerged from our conversations, emerged in the episodes. And often I've noticed that I've, um, I've had a, a, almost a pivot in how I've had an opinion about something emerge during the course of our conversations. And I'm thinking in one particular case, the, um, will having a king make a difference to men in this country? I I kind of thought we would end up talking about um, gender, influence of gender, and so on and so forth, equality and stuff like that. What I didn't realize is that emerging from that conversation, I would have a new hypothesis about how um, disruptive people who play against type could become as leaders. And we're thinking of the, the king playing actually what might be more traditionally feminine compassionate characteristics publicly despite being a leader who is a male and females in the past who've displayed more male characteristics and then just this idea of are there any boundaries of these sort of things but is it just the distinct the difference there that actually makes the difference those those kind of emergent thoughts have really stood out for me as we've gone through this i really like that emerging leader of concept that really draws the that that makes a really neat connection for me from what i was talking about with the the different all the different data sources and driving self-awareness and i like i i you know made that very very high level link but actually you've got to do a lot of stuff to take the data and actually get any self-awareness out of it and then actually use that to influence your behaviors and and gather more data etc and that concept of emerging leader i think is really interesting I'm, just... I'm sitting on a like uh, on a on a totally random powerlifting anecdote that's related to that which i will should forward. we save that for the uh, the after party yeah I think... <laughs> <laughs> with what you boys have just said there there's two very strong i suppose summaries that link to observations that link to possible places people might be in the first one is that idea that you say is emerging thoughts. I've noticed a behavioral trend these days where the leaders of today are a lot more comfortable to lead in the moment and lead on the fly. Historically, people are, I noticed people have wanted to know that they can do it before they go and do it. Whereas these days, there's a lot more people who are very practical to work in live real time with themselves. And they know they'll make mistakes, but they'll also know they'll have successes and they work with who they are in the moment a lot more. And I feel like what we've talked about a lot and the way we've approached the conversations very much represents that we've had a concept and allowed the discussion to emerge amongst us all. And then for the audience who are listening. So I think that's really relevant in this context of self-awareness because you can never always predict how you're going to feel. I knew, you know, I was saying to you boys just before we came on here, I missed a meeting this morning because it wasn't in my diary. But that feeling of guilt and shame, I hadn't predicted. I couldn't have predicted. But I knew I felt it first thing this morning. It was like, right, I've got to pause a minute here and work out what I do. But if you'd have told me 24 hours earlier I was going to feel that feeling, I couldn't tell you that was going to come up at all. 
But I feel like some of those conversations that we've had and some of the experiences we work with people on and work with ourselves on really equip us with the skills to be able to just sit there in a moment in time and feel what might be possible. And I sense that there's a lot more authenticity that comes for leaders when they can do that in the real world. Mm. Um, there was the second point, but I've completely forgot it. So I'm going to carry on because <laughs> I think we'll come back. <laughs> what, on. One, th one thing that came out, and I don't know whether this would sound controversial now and it might reveal my own bias, but um, this journey with you guys has, has perhaps reconfirmed in my mind that anybody who believes you can teach leadership is is barking up the wrong tree. Oh, um, that's almost like how we could start out season two, Jamie. Careful. Uh, there, there are one of the, the reason. Let me just explain a little bit. But that's my my fundamental belief. You can't teach really great leadership. Um, you can teach elements of it, and the, the dimensions that Derry you mentioned earlier on the horizontal, the, the, the practical essential skills of leadership. You can teach people those skills, those tools. But how somebody then shows up to use them, how they reflect on the impact those tools are having when they are in the role of being a leader, um, how they enable others, how they reflect and learn and improve and grow, that's not teachable. It is developable when you create the, the kind of space for somebody to choose to go down that path. But anybody, and I think anybody being, sadly, still the vast majority of the leadership learning talent industry who, who proclaims it is possible to teach leaders to be great leaders. I think that perspective, in my opinion, and certainly from my experience, um, is flawed. You'll you'll teach people some great tools, but how they then go and use them is is really down to the individual and how much they're prepared to 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 go on a kind of emergent growth journey, explore who they are. And the fact we picked up on this golden age because I don't think we even really originally, if I remember right, we didn't originally set out before the conversations to go. We've got a very specific target segment in mind. It emerged during our first or second mm. conversation that, wow, there's this, this generation of people who are inheriting leadership roles, being moved into them either by choice or by accident. Some of them have want, always wanted it and are now there. It's happening around this sort of age. They're being told what to do, what to think. Here's what we're expecting from you. But very few are being served with, a, well, how do you go about doing that? How do you be mm. that person? And how do you maintain health, both mentally, physically, spiritually, um, intellectually? Um, but very, very little of that was going on. And, and over the course of our journey, I've had quite a diverse um, and expanded range of interactions with people in the training, learning, development community. I've had a, a lot more meetings with senior executives in business, both private and public, for-profit, non-for-profit. Um, around uh, not only the UK, but uh, Europe and the rest of the world, the vast majority are under the impression that you can teach leadership. The vast majority are struggling with the reality of their role as leaders, having believed they could be taught it or that they could just take what they'd always done and apply it in a leadership capacity. Very, very few are opening their eyes or have opened their eyes to the fact that you can teach some bits of it but the journey is an internal one and it's very, very personal. Can I, Jamie, can I clarify 
I, I sense that you're using a, a specific definition of teach there. Are, are you, with the analogy, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink fit. Like the teaching is the provision of the water, but unless people are willing to drink from that cup and do their own in, internal work, it won't work. That that is a good analogy. I don't know whether it hits the nail quite on the head for what I have in my mind, and whether, I don't know whether I can actually clearly articulate it. But I think yes, the, the the definition of the teaching is you can't follow a script to become a great leader. Yeah, so you can't necessarily just follow a script. You can't turn up to a classroom and after eight modules, say I've learned the basics that will make me a great leader, having started the week as a good manager. Yeah, that's the that's the you can't teach it or necessarily train it in conventional sense. And I think the analogy of you could show the horse where the water is, but actually for that horse to want to drink, it's a decision that they have to make. Yeah. So the reason um, I, I raised okay. that was the I think a lot of the self awareness and personal capacity stuff that we've been talking about is is developable and coachable and you can facilitate people into that level of self-awareness and then provide them with a toolkit around it but none of that will get you anywhere if those people are not really open and committed to having a really honest look at themselves and developing that that self-awareness we um in the men's work that I do, we talk a lot about the um, arch male archetypes. And there are four male archetypes, the lover, the warrior, the magician, and the king. And the magician energy is the energy that allows you to reflect on your options, be wise, be intuitive, understand yourself, and make. And it's quite an intellectual energy. And when magician energy goes wrong, you see people just putting up blockers all over the place and and ducking and weaving from the questions that you're asking to try and get them to have a real hard look at themselves. And so if to you to extend that into the leadership conversation if if you've got a someone who is in a leadership position and you're trying to teach them and they're just being all magiciany about how they approach that rather than really stepping into trying to develop their personal capacity then it's just not going to work. Mm. on a sidebar Derry have you got a one pager on that that you can send me because it would be really useful for a coaching conversation I'm having at the moment because <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got I've got a leader who is deeply struggling with one of their team interesting who, I, I won't give the whole backdrop to the story because there's a well I will actually the leader is leaving to a new leadership role there's been a tension between them and one of the team for the entire time they've worked together six years and now that tension's now breaking because of course one is leaving making having an exit route but what's surfacing now is just an exasperation of the personal problem that the individual that the leader leads is going through and that person is projecting outside of them all of the challenge and finding it very difficult to look internally as to where where this the role that they play in the way that they're experiencing the world around them 
that's where that individual is really, really struggling. And the leader is doing a great job to, you know, not get into the drama triangle of it all, be supportive, be compassionate, be open to supporting the individual in how they need to be supported, but the individual isn't taking the bait. The individual is doubling down on their stance. And I feel like, although some people might feel that those four categorizations come from a very masculine energy because of the environment of which you share them. As Jamie, to, to me, to what you said earlier, Jamie, about the fact that there are female leaders who can demonstrate masculine energy and me, you know, male leaders that can dem demonstrate feminine energy those four characteristic types will have a model of which they can be applied in the world, irrespective of gender. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, probably don't want to go off on that too much of a tangent there, but the, the, the female sort of archetypes that are uh, posted as equivalent really aren't very equivalent. Um, I actually wrote, I wrote about this on, um, on a blog post recently and my wife commented on the blog post about, the female archetypes being kind of stages of life. So it's like, it's the maiden, the mother and the crone, um, which is very different in terms of its articulation versus lover, warrior, magician, and king. But let, let's not go too far down that tangent. No, we won't. Um, in fact, just so people know, in the background, all the themes that we're starting to talk about here, I'm writing down because I've got a feeling we're going to go for the next season to some of this stuff. Because so far, I've got stories versus narratives. What are the similarities and differences? Teaching great leadership is a myth and is flawed. And will the economic downturn mean, what will the economic downturn mean for today's leaders? And now we're going to talk about, I, I feel like there's a conversation about labels and the impact that they have on people when they're placed. Yeah. That's another one that's come out for me from there. But What's really, I've remembered what the second point is now, which is probably useful. Uh, glad we, glad we padded that out for you before. You if, yeah, it. I, it just it, <laughs> thanks for serving me, chaps. Uh, I'm deeply grateful. Um, that, and we did touch on this in one of those episodes. So many of today's leaders want the answer, but they only see it at a very surface level. What they need to do. Part of that individual that I was just mentioning, her, she is looking to be the most, the highest up the food chain that she can possibly be. And she's looking to bypass as much as possible to get there. She's trying to do it quickly. And so many of today leaders trying to achieve their own career aspirations, goals quickly. We spent a really good conversation talking about time, if you remember, and the role that time plays in all of this. And there are just some lessons that you have to wait for the context to be the contextual moment in time to emerge for you to be tested in that way. You can't pre-program it. You can't pre-plan it. You can't make it happen just so it sits good and rests on your CV. Oh, I dealt with a difficult conflict. Yeah. Being one example, time is sometimes your greatest asset as a leader. And being patient enough to allow time to let your experience come through, your skills that need to happen, the moment to teach you what it wants to teach you. Sometimes you just have to sit and wait, and it might take months. I think that there's was, a great. That was my second point. Yeah, I think that's a great point. 
Uh, well, so when I think about this golden age of leadership, 25 to 40, mm-hmm. and, you know, we're all outside of that now. Just, um, some of us are just, all right? Well, I'm 43, you know. I'm, uh, I'm 42, so <laughs> Jamie's been quiet. Yeah, I'm, I'm running out of time. I'm 48. <laughs> but you're um, youthful in your approach to life, Jamie, and that's okay. And I know that I personally quite frequently say, oh, I wish I knew then what I know now. <sighs> and part of what we're doing with this podcast is to help people who are in their late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s, whatever, know a little bit then what we wish we knew then. Know a little bit now what we wish we knew when we were that age. But the reality is those messages will only land if people are ready to hear them, to Jamie's point. So we we can't teach. We can provide experience and tools and stories but unless people are ready to have a look at themselves and think about it and and not be magician-y in the way that they receive that information, it's going to fall on deaf ears. And some of those people yeah. will listen to this podcast now and in five years' time, they'll go, oh, hold on a minute. I can hear that now. I wish I'd listened back then. <laughs> and I just I say, just, just, just be just... kind to yourselves because it's not your fault that you're not listening, that you're not aware <laughs> That, that you're not thinking about self-awareness. It's just, that's how we work. And you can't... Yeah, and I just, it just occurred, you're ready. Yeah. It just occurred to me that, that 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 lovely phrase, I wish I'd known back then what I know now. And I think that imparting of what we believe we are aware of now to people who are going to start going through that journey or on that part of their their journey through life and career. Um, I just <laughs> laughing to myself thinking, it's great, they're going to plug into this podcast. They're going to hear this wisdom. And sadly, that wisdom is going to end up with things like, by the way, there are no right answers. You have to experiment and try stuff out. But no, but you've been doing this stuff. There must be some right answers. Well, no, actually, what you'll discover is there aren't. (laughs) That's number one. Number two, here's some practical tools to deal with the fact that there are no right answers. And you're going to have to be more uncomfortable, but get comfortable with that discomfort. Here's some ways in which you can look in the mirror and and look at the, the harsh reality of the fact you show up sometimes and you're a pain in the backside, but you're not aware of it because you're not everybody's cup of tea. How do you deal with that? These are the kinds of things that somebody's starting this journey going, great, I'm going to speak. You know, I'm going to hear from people who've been there, done it, started businesses, been senior people in organizations, and they're going to tell me that there's no answer, there's no path to follow, there's no way I can just learn how to do this well and mimic and copy, that it's down to me. God, that's a painful message to hear. But actually, there is your point. That is the reality. I've met very, very few people um, who have come to me at any stage in their leadership career and gone, I followed exactly the right path because somebody told me when I was 22 how to do it. Most of the great leaders I've come across, great great human beings I've come across in all walks of life have said, I'm here because of the war wounds I've picked up along the way and the lessons I've learned from trying some stuff out and listening and being present. That's brought up another thought for me, which is what part of the conversation we've had through this series at times is we've touched on, I think we're essentially promoting a certain flavor of leadership, which is a conscious, compassionate style of leadership. And we've talked a little bit about how there are 
self-evidently other leadership styles out there and often they seem to work and i wonder for those leaders you know the elon musks and the jeff bezos's and uh various political leaders etc who have reputations for just being brutal autocratic demanding high quality etc i suspect that the vast majority of those leaders have never really had any leadership coaching because they got into leadership positions very young and they did stuff that worked for them in terms of the goals that they were trying to achieve and it's something that i'm still not quite i don't quite have leveled out as to what is fundamentally is there something fundamentally wrong with that leadership style which appears to work versus the style that we're promoting and why would a leader choose one versus the other and we've talked a bit about that but i i feel like i haven't quite got that clear so graham if you want well, another topic for season yeah. two. it's already been typed yeah, gentlemen top- it's already been typed yeah because I, I wonder whether actually the, the the approach we are i guess you're right promoting could end up with people ending up a bit more like elon musk but that would be then an intentional conscious choice that will be the the way they feel it is helpful for them to achieve the goals that they set themselves and they're prepared to make that path their path um no that's entirely up to them i don't necessarily believe that everybody who adopts some of the stuff or becomes aware of some of the things we've been talking about will end up exactly the same it's going to become very personal it would be your style your tone um a reflection of your tendencies a manifestation of how you interpret the world and you sense make the data that you come in and the capacities you have to uh, to deal with that in your thinking processes and your feeling processes. That's all very individual. It's very complex. There's no predictability other than we think we've started to understand a little bit more of the cognitive processing side of that. But I suspect that there will be folks who will come out and go, it's all very well and good. I'm interpreting your stuff as fluffy. I want to be like a Branson. I want to be like a head of Goldman Sachs because that's where the money is or that's where the power is or okay fine just i think that's a really that's another really interesting reflection um yeah so by becoming self-aware and making choices to be compassionate doesn't necessarily mean that you turn into a certain type of leader and actually a huge amount of compassion when it's like warrior compassion that is truly in that person's best interest involves setting boundaries and setting standards and saying no compassion doesn't have to mean and i think it's important that we actually clarify this for people compassion doesn't mean letting your team do whatever they want it doesn't mean being a soft leader that says oh you're you're struggling a bit today take the day off every day it it means understanding where that person is and what they need to achieve and perform in the way that they've said that they want to achieve and perform. And I think that yeah. is a really interesting point. Like, is, is Elon Musk a leader that lacks compassion and, and self-awareness or is he someone that has is self-aware and compassionate and is choosing to behave in the way he behaves because he believes that's in the best interests of the people that he's leading. I don't know. Well, which, 
which which in, in many respects you'd say, well, who does he think he's trying to influence here? Well, he's actually, he has a passion to influence the path of humanity. He might be saying it's compassionate for me to actually get into space so we can find ways of sustaining the human race beyond the limitations of what I see in this planet right now or for the next hundred years. We're going to be you know, exhausting all the resources that will allow us to live, lead healthy lives. Therefore, I have this absolute burning desire to get us into space, to you know, hack the Darwinian code um, through my mind chip um, experiments, to electrify uh, travel, self, you know, autonomous vehicles, the way forward, so that we can focus more time and energy on being present. Okay, well, those are big, lofty, compassionate goals in some ways. Does he day to day feel like a nice person to work for? I don't know. I've never spoken to anybody who's worked for him. However, I've heard lots of stories. Though so I have my own aggregated version of the story of what might it like be like to work for or be around Elon Musk. And I'd say, well, I think the guy's definitely got some degree of compassion or a an understanding of a system and what is best for it, um, just like everybody else has, but it might just have a different scale. And that scale is size or time or five dimensions as opposed to the, the tra traditional three. You brought up another topic there, Jamie, which is the where does compassion apply? Does it apply to the individual you're leading or the team you're leading or the organization you're within or the communities they operate within or the broader society? What level do we pitch compassion at and how do we make the trade-offs between those? Tune in to season two, episode seven to find out. <laughs> yeah, it's um, uh, it's interesting because I, I kind of sit there and I think about my own journey in leadership. And, I, you know, we've all talked about a, a, a thing we can do with people. Stop, start, continue, right? Simple process at the end of a learning experience to help someone just reflect and take on some actions from there. And I, I was talking to someone about this the other day where they said, well, I always do the start. The start is the easiest thing in the world to nail and continue is a little bit like a start because I think I'll just keep doing it, but it's with a tweak. So it's continue with a difference often. But the one that they struggle with always is stop, right? And it it makes me wonder how many times that this quest for rightness that we see in the world these days drives people just starting doing stuff. And they never understand. They never seem to understand or appreciate until they do it. The idea that letting something go is just as effective as trying to do more or hold on tighter or accelerate and do all those things. And I'm just thinking as we're talking, like how, what could it take for a leader to really recognize that doing nothing is actually doing something and it's effective? doing less than is doing something and it could be effective. That's where my thoughts have just gone listening to you, excuse me, listening to you chaps. Simplest way of making more space and time for yourself is to do less of what you were doing and then decide how you're going to use that extra capacity. Um, countless times, perhaps less in my leadership development experience but in just the transformation programs i've been associated with over the years um had to have 
some really basic conversations about that exact topic of if you want to start doing new stuff and you're saying oh, we just don't have time pick five things that as a team you could you could actually stop doing and stop mm. them and see what happens and decide how you're going to use that time is it really hard to do that so jay derry if you don't do that and you just start you very very quickly become overloaded yeah. if you keep saying and I, i'm a huge fan of um defining smart actions mm. specific measurable achievable relevant time-bound actions as a way of embedding new skills embedding new behaviors making it accessible to do something that you're trying to change and I, i'm very guilty of encouraging people to pick a smart action and i always say pick something small make it achievable you know don't don't overload yourselves but i never say pick a smart action and then pick what you're going to not do that you would have done in that time otherwise because everything you're going to do is going to take some time so clear the space so you can do this thing mm-hmm. and actually that has a that has a multiplying effect right if you stop doing the behavior that you're trying to stop doing and you start doing the new behavior and you're explicit about both those things. That's a really good multiplying effect. Mm. And yeah. it's I, I, I see in that it's not like you failed in the previous stuff. It's just you did what you felt you should do in that moment in time. And as you talked about, Jamie, experiments can only be effective experiments can only be developed from taking that moment and going, okay, some bits worked, some bits didn't. In the context of which I'm existing today, here's what I should I feel like trying next. And there might be a bit of lean into some difficult aspects that you've been hiding from in that, but there may be some great opportunities that you really want to go and pursue. Um, and I love what you said. There isn't a one fit answer to doing this stuff. There just isn't. <laughs> um, and I think the sooner people get their head around that, the more opportunity they open themselves up to be able to really learn. Yeah, well, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'd like to I'd like to somehow program our series two to to help me with a new project that I'm I'm looking to try and kick off. Which so is series around. two is all about Jamie. Um, yeah, it's going to be so, the, the, the Jamie story. Supporting yeah. us as we work live. Derry and Graham. <laughs> yes. Welcome to some live facilitation from Derry and I. Just to... just just on that um, finding ways to stop stuff, um, and I, I wonder whether it changes in the maturity of a business. Small agile startups probably tend to more quickly just drop things that don't work and move to the things that do. I worked for an organization once, which is very large, very famous. And I remember speaking to the guy who looked after their operating manual. And there was like a 500 page manual that every senior person in the company had to read and certify they'd read every year or two. And it had just so many sections. It was unbelievable. And I remember chatting with him and saying, how often do you update this? Well, we update it for about two months every year to make sure we modify and make sure it's current. Right. What are the things that stick out for you about this? Well, it's interesting. Um, there are 39 dis- <laughs> documented ways to start new processes, policies, things, actions. 39 different ways that are documented in this manual. There isn't a single <laughs> single process that defines how you stop things. Hmm. <laughs> Not wow. a single one. No one. There is no no one anywhere has a set of steps to follow how to shut something down. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. About two years later, I was still working for the same company and there was a massive global transformation program. 
like it was unifying everything. Everybody's going to be amazing. It's kind of Elon Musk-esque in its magnitude and excitement. And then one of the strands of this in the region I was uh, head of failed dramatically and an entire country's profits were wiped out because of a failure in a new bit of technology that was launched too quickly. I said, right, we've got to stop the rollout because it's supposed to go live in five new countries in the next quarter. And they're like, okay. I said, what do you mean, okay? They said, we're not entirely which committee has the right to stop the rollout. I was like, joking, aren't you? Just to tell them not to go live. Yeah, but there's a there's a governance framework, and I don't think anybody's ever written down in the governance rules which of the various different hierarchical committees actually can stop this program, and they couldn't. They simply didn't know how to stop the program. Wow. As a consequence, institutionally, they'd reinforced their own values of just do more, do something new, mm -hmm. and completely forgotten of the other balancing acts, which is how do you make room for that? By stopping something else but actually in and of itself when something's going wrong how do you stop it <laughs> another chapter in the series two how to stop something fear of death and our lack of capability to deal with loss <laughs> excellent chaps this is going great today so the um organizational bloat that results from a culture that never stops anything is mind-blowing on that scale yeah, yeah. But I, yes. and here's the thing I'm really curious about, and some listeners may be able to comment on this, right? In the newer organizations that are coming up, is it readily accepted that they're going to just transition quite a lot? So when something does go, any engagement with the loss never really happens because they're like, well, we're still working towards the overall goal. So let's just focus on what is. And they ju it, it's accepted that things just fall by the wayside. I bet you boys, and I could do this too, could all go and look at our WhatsApp groups and scroll down. And if you go past the first 30 that are listed on there, you realize there's a whole load of conversations that you've just not been having anymore that have all stopped. Yeah. Because they're relevant for what they need at that point in time and they move forward. Maybe yep. people are more ready. Oh, there's another episode right there. Doing well here, boys. Farming, I believe they call this in the podcast trade. Farming for content. So, You're saying WhatsApp is Farming. a tool that enables us to live in the moment. <laughs> oh, look at that. I think everyone, he dropped the mic when he said that as well. So, I feel like that would be a controversial take in the, in the world of social media. Uh, so I've got. I, mean, no, I think you're right. To your point of like, S -S 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 Zuckerberg's on the phone. He's going to hire you to work alongside Nick Clegg, as <laughs> head of public affairs. I cannot helps imagine. You, WhatsApp is a tool that helps you live in the moment. <laughs> it's I, going I, down. I think there's a the the point you make there, Graham, about um, newer, younger, more modern organisations, however you want to describe them. But leaner, more agile, etc. I think that I think that's right. I think those organisations tend to be more mission driven and more focused on what what they're trying to achieve. And in that context, it is much easier to drop stuff that's not working. Whereas the organisational bloat that exists in any business really that has existed for more than ten years. Can be really you've got to really consciously get rid of it. I mean, God, I find it in my business, which is tiny, but I've got processes and things and subscriptions to stuff that we don't really use anymore. 
uh, our SharePoint filing system is a mess. We're five years old. I've only ever had 10 employees. And we've still managed to create a, an inefficient mess in our in our systems. And we've used loads of different tools over that time. And I'm, I'm guilty of bouncing from one tool to another and, and dropping, starting things quickly and dropping things quickly. But to the idea of a like 50-year-old organization that's 100,000 people across 50 different countries, the idea of leading in that organization to get stuff done efficiently and keep people on track without ever stopping anything is a massive challenge. Season three. Streamlining Honeycomb PS. <laughs> so the streamlined leader. <laughs> well, the emerging leader and the streamlined leader. Yeah, I think there's definitely, um, this is why I think the golden age of leadership uh, as a segment that we've been talking to is a really fascinating one. Yeah. There are folks, folks at the younger end of that age spectrum who are entering the professional workspace at a time where Agile, disposable, um, easily changed uh, infrastructure processes are very much how our digital lives work. Um, entering sometimes organizations where the people who are, who are currently still as the executives or the board are from a completely different era where following rules, adding stuff, maintaining things for fear of losing something. In fact, some of the regulations in, in, in some industries require you to hold on to things, be able to show assurance that you've got you know, good, robust mm. and, and, and stable uh, frameworks in place for a whole variety of things. Real big clash going on there, right there. And these mm. people are, bec are becoming leaders in some of those organizations and in, in some cases growing other organizations that may end up being as big as these ones. Is there a tipping point? Do they become like them at some point? Does that mean that? I think that's be, where that merge be... starts to take place, right? That yeah, merge of right. what your ideals are that you develop when you're younger sometimes and are very, you know, are often spoken to very freely these days. Yeah. When integrated what, what... into a context of organizational success and essentially a capitalistic economy. Yeah. It starts it, to provide, yeah. provide potential friction points because, you know, when someone says, well, yeah, we'd love to pay everyone more because inflation's at 10%. But then they go, yeah, well, that means we're going to have to increase our profit line to be able to do that and our turnover line and our loss line needs to get smaller. So we, we've got, to, you know, the experience says you've got to rebalance the books in the context of that. Um Everyone has all, a plan. To, all, to all people, all of our listeners there, that does mean that when you are in those positions making those choices, you still need to invest in your consultancy support. Because <laughs> that's usually <laughs> the first place the budget gets cut in our experience, right? <laughs> so, but yeah. Um, it makes it, me think of Mike Tyson's famous uh, quote, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. But ev yeah. Everybody has their ideals until they get punched in the, the face of corporate bureaucracy and bloat. Yeah. fascinating it's fascinating stuff like and we we do genuinely hope that people have enjoyed it have you enjoyed the journey so far chaps we've been on with this podcast i've absolutely enjoyed it uh, i was halfway through this conversation i was just reflecting on how i came in here a bit tired i'm a bit deaf because i was swimming in the sea last week and my ears all blocked up and you know and i've i'm feeling energized and excited and i enjoy i've enjoyed that's the 
the sensation I've had on every one of these conversations and I've really enjoyed all of them and learned a lot and reflected on a lot. And I hope other people have enjoyed it. Jamie? Yeah. Well, I, I would echo that. I, I, I would definitely echo the every single experience, um, each individual session. There have been times when I've shown up, I've acknowledged it when we do our check-in, either whilst we're live or before and where I've been massively distracted. And every time I've had one of these sessions, it's helped me shift and focus and enjoy and just be present. Um, the overall experience, I think, has been, for me, from, and I'll credit Birch um, as a location. There you are, Birch, a bit of, bit of promotion for you. Birch was the place in which we sat, uh, where we said, Should, why don't we have a go at doing this? And I look back at that lunch we had then and, and think, this entire journey for me has been fascinating, wonderful, enjoyable. I've learned so much. Uh, I've realized how many stories I was telling myself. I've been, dare I say it, I've been incredibly um, impressed and I've, I've given so much trust into both you, Graham, and, and you, Jerry, for kind of managing this because I've taken a little management role in this. You guys have handled the, the recording, the editing, the hosting. The, I was just like, I, I'm just very happy to kind of almost be a bit of a passenger on that on that respect. Uh, and, and that's quite, that feels quite contrary the way I normally would operate um, and I've just thoroughly enjoyed the whole journey and I'm looking forward to the next series yeah likewise like I like the listeners have probably always heard like and they have in their own lives there's things going on around moments when you come together and converse and I've always I always look forward to the call no matter what has been going on because like you all say, it gives me, I always feel like there's a chance. It's usually about 25 to 35 minutes into each episode where somehow my shoulders just drop and I kind of let go of the bits before and I just kind of be with what my thoughts are and what's emerging. And this is always great fun to be able to do that and to do it in a way that allows us to explore subjects that matter to us, but that helps us with the contextual relevance of that all the time. I think it's really, really cool. You know, exploring the question, will a king make a difference? I've never thought of that question, but as soon as you put it on the list, Derry, I think it was you that suggested it. I was like, that's going to be really good fun because it could be a subject that our listeners think about. And they might have drawn an opinion on it and they might take it forwards. Lovely segue. Before we go, um, Mm. as we wrap up series one, we should open the invitation up to anybody who does listen to this who has a perspective of what they'd like us to cover as a topic or indeed anybody they'd like us to talk to yeah um any i'm sure we can find a way to get to the king we're always six degrees of separation from anyone so if we can get to the king and get him on yeah. let's do it okay I think yeah, I'm, I'm, actually on a, I'm actually on a whatsapp group with one of his nephews is it in the so top 30 is it on the top 20 or the one of the ones lower down I thought you mentioned. I, I thought you were going to say his brother Andrew, and I was See, like, "That's not a WhatsApp group." I'd be acknowledging, no. by the way. That's that's the one that's a long way down my list. Goal Peter for Phillips, season Peter Phillips, two. Uh, I have a passing acquaintance with. Goal for season so, two. Get the king I, on to talk yeah. about what it's like for him being a leader at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, and it's those kind of things. So I, I love it. Um, we hope that the listeners really are enjoying and finding these things practical, useful, uh, insightful, stimulating, challenging. Um, and all the other things that this podcast can do for you. And I get the impression we're going to keep going because it benefits us 
and it seems to benefit all all of you who listen. So thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in. We'll be back in touch soon. Launching season two. Take it easy. Take care. any of the subjects we cover in this podcast spark inspiration curiosity or concern within you do drop us a line details are in the comments below and we'll be happily there to listen and see how we can offer the best support for you Thank you.